So this week we're going to talk about resistance. And, uh, you know, uh, I had to tell people, you know, I'm no, sorry, no sock puppets this week. I, I'm, I know, I know, it's disappointing. I watched last week and I just thought that was wonderful. Uh, <clears throat> this week's a little different. Um, it's a little heavier than some of the other weeks. Uh, so uh, just kind of come into it. This is uh, asking the question about resistance uh, in the world and resistance in us. So it starts off, I'm going to start you off with a clip. Uh, this is some of Jesus' disciples who are going to scout out the location where he's going to present what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. I think the knoll east of the Nahalka River looks promising. But it's a knoll. He won't be high enough for people to see and hear him. Yes, and the trees to the south obstruct the view of the Sea of Galilee, which he specifically requested. Why does he need a view of the sea? I think he wanted to be high enough up. Ah, what about the hills north of Chorazim? Huh? There's plenty of height his voice would carry. It's too steep of a climb. And the distance is too far for the people from Tiberias and Magdala. He said he wanted to keep within a day's walk from those cities. Maybe we're just looking too far north. What did he request? Grove of uh, juniper or gum trees on the backside where we could camp the night before? Yeah. Looks like he already knows the place, hmm? Yeah. Just have to find it. No trespassing, violators will be prosecuted. Shalom, shalom. Hope we mean no harm, sister. We're here on friendly business. Behind where you are. Is that a good view of the Sea of Galilee? Go away. That's not very friendly. Uh, excuse me, are you the owner? It's closed to visitors. It's very important that we speak to him. This is probably the spot. What? Why? It's completely repellent. Exactly. In case you missed that little last exchange, <clears throat> this is probably the spot. Why? What? Why? It's completely repellent. Exactly. Does that sometimes sound like the story of your life? Jesus has this place in mind and he tells them about it and they encounter obstacles. And, and what they're starting to set up is this kind of understanding that, you know, the, the kingdom of the world oftentimes is opposed to the kingdom of God. And it runs all through the gospels, this kind of theme that the kingdom of God that reflects God is oftentimes, in, is oftentimes resisted by the kingdom of the world. And remember, as we talk about this, before you start thinking about other people, that you and I live in the kingdom of the world sometimes right now. That resistance is not just outside of us. Sometimes we are that resistance. Let's pray. Mighty God, we give you thanks for the day you've given us. And I just ask you to come and pour your love on us and break the hardness of our hearts open that we might receive what you say to us. Uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as we wind our way down to the end of the Beatitudes, we come to this one. <clears throat> Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I want to say a word right, right off the top as we get into this, that for the disciples of, of Jesus' time, that word persecuted carried a weight and a seriousness that you and I will probably never experience. 
Because for them, persecution meant more than just people saying bad things about them. Uh, you know, sometimes it meant them putting their lives on the line and the lives of their families on the line. Uh, if you go to Bethlehem and you go in the church in the nativity that celebrates the birth of Christ, right next to it is the church of St. Catherine, who was strapped to a wheel which was then spun until the stress and the trauma killed her. That's what the early church understood about persecution that we sometimes forget. And that's what some people in other parts of the world still experience in terms of persecution that we sometimes forget. For us, a lot of times when we use that language persecution, really opposition might be a better word because we probably aren't going to face those kinds of consequences. But nonetheless, we are going to encounter that kind of opposition and that resistance when we are trying to live in the world as people of God. Many years ago, one of the members of uh, one of my congregations made a comment to me. and She said, whenever God is preparing to do something great, the adversary will rise up against it. And at the time, I kind of thought, okay, that's, that's a little overly dramatic. And, and then I lived longer. <laughs> and I found out, no, really, not so much. Not so much. Uh, if you're wondering, uh, Stella, who was here preaching uh, last week and did a magnificent job with that, uh, is on her way to prison today. Now, for good reason, for good reason, uh, she's going with the group to the closing of Kairos at the Ferguson unit this afternoon. And those of you that are unfamiliar, Kairos is a version of the walk to Emmaus that is done for people who are incarcerated. And so there's been a crew over there this weekend uh, leading that event at the Ferguson unit. This afternoon's the closing. And there's a group going from here to, to be there and to be present and part of that time of worship. Uh, so as, as she does that, you know, it reminds me that the first time back in the early 90s uh, that I had a congregation that wanted to step in and become involved with Kairos, uh, which was kind of just starting to get some traction back then and become more of a thing, uh, the, the first time I was in that and that discussion took place, there were a number of people who said, why should we go over there and take the gospel to those people? Right? They're getting what they deserve. Why should we go over there and be nice to them? Right? But who needs to hear grace? Who needs to hear compassion? Who needs to hear more about love than those folks that are in the prison system? And those of you that have been involved with Kairos over the years, you know what an amazing event that is and what a powerful thing it is and the impact that it has on people's lives. But the initial response to it from the church was no, we're not going to do that. Every building project I've done in every church I've been, there's been someone who's been opposed, if not many someones who have been opposed to it in every place I've served. And when we decided to step into Matete with World Vision and become part of that project, there were numerous folks within this congregation who came to me and said, why are we going all the way over there to do something from them when there's people hungry right here in our own community? And my stock answer was, I, I'm not aware of any place in our community where the children under the age of five are facing an annual mortality rate of 20 to 25% because they can't get clean water to drink. Which did absolutely nothing to change their minds. Whenever God is going to do something powerful, the people will rise up and resist. There is resistance in the world because the kingdom of the world does not want to accommodate the kingdom of God. 
And Jesus even recognizes this in his, in his teaching and his preaching. Uh, toward the end of John's gospel, he said, you know, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. In other words, you can expect the world to resist you in the same way that the world resisted Jesus Christ. The gospel doesn't call us to have this kind of widespread respect and and renown in the community. It calls us to be faithful even when that means that life gets difficult. You know, when I was uh, young and uh, it was kind of understood in the community that, you know, people who went to church and were good Christians, you know, they were respected. It was a good thing. It was a great thing, you know, and kind of held in high esteem. And, And as some of you know, that's not always the case anymore. If you're strong in your faith and you practice your faith, you will encounter people who will be upset with you for that. Because the kingdom of the world is not always accepting of the kingdom of God. And sometimes even we are not accepting of the kingdom of God. Toward the end of John's gospel, Jesus gives this word of hope to his disciples. I've told you these things so that in me you have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart, I've overcome. The world doesn't know it yet, but I've overcome the world. Because in the crucifixion and the resurrection, Jesus wins the final victory over the powers of death and darkness. It's just that the world hasn't quite been ready to acknowledge that. When we use that word resistance, for me at least, the the thing I think of first is, you know, electrical current hits a resistance going through an object and it, you know, pushes back against that current. Or it could be, you know, water getting resistance from going through a channel, uh, different kinds of things like that. But there's another understanding of the word resistance which is the noun, an, an underground organization of a conquered or nearly conquered country engaging in sabotage and secret operations against occupation forces and collaborators. Yeah, that's the way it works. Jesus has won the victory, but the world is not ready to give up. And so it continues to push back and sabotage the kingdom of God. And sometimes we're part of that resistance. So in this episode, as Jesus is putting together the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it kind of the, the show kind of shows him wrestling with it and trying to arrange it and get it all organized. And we don't know if that's actually what he did or not. I mean, that's kind of the artistic license of the show. We do know that what it shows accurately is the times that he would take and, and go away to pray. And, and, and be with, with God the Father. 
and, and be in that kind of mode of discerning what needed to be said and what was to be brought forward. Uh, but the show shows him working on this, and as he works on it, he has invited Matthew uh, to come into that process with him. And Matthew's taking notes and kind of making an outline or a script, if you will, for the sermon and, and keeping tabs of that. And he's also offering suggestions to Jesus. You know, like, well, you know, you can't really start with you are the salt of the earth. That's just not a good thing to start with. And so they're, they're having this conversation. And at a certain point, Jesus comes and asks for Matthew's uh, opinion. Which section stands out to you the most? Do not be anxious about your life, of course. Are there any sections that concern you? Give me your honest opinion. I know I don't have to say that, but... The whole truth. You know I won't be offended. It's all very striking, but if I do the math in terms of good news and bad, it seems like there's not a lot of good news. Anyone who looks at the woman with lust has already committed adultery. Doesn't that make everyone an adulterer? If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Wouldn't that lead to an entire population of people walking around with only one eye? Oh, and this one. If anyone were to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well? Mm. Trees that bear bad fruit being cut down and torn into the fire. The gate is narrow and hard that leads to life. Depart from me, I never knew you. Do you realize how heavily laden your sermon is with these kinds of ominous pronouncements? I haven't even named half of them. It's a manifesto, Matthew. I'm not here to be sentimental and soothing. I'm here to start a revolution. Well, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That isn't exactly- I said revolution, not revolt. I'm talking about a radical shift. Did you think I was just going to come here and say, hey everyone, just uh, keep doing what you've been doing for the last thousand years since it's been going so great. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, if you do the math, there's more bad news than there is good news. And it, I invite you, if you don't think that's right, just go back and do the math for yourself. Uh, there are some very hard sayings and hard pieces within the Sermon on the Mount. And I love that bit about revolution as opposed to revolt. The revolution is, is the transformation of persons. But oftentimes we're willing to settle for revolt. Let's just go take out those people that bother us. Of course, then you become the people that bother someone else who then rises up and remove you. And then they become the people that bother someone else that rise up and replace you. And the cycle goes on ad nauseum. Now, Jesus did not say this in Scripture, but I love that comment at the end. You know, hey, did you think I was just going to come and say, hey, everybody, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, it's been going so great for the last thousand years. I'm like, well, that's a pretty interesting comment because that's revolt. We're really good at that. And how's that going for us? I mean, you know, how good have we been? If you look at our record, how well have we handled the world that God has put at our feet, in our, in our hands? Revolution is much more difficult because it starts with transformation, which starts with me and with you. We'd much rather revolt because that has to do with someone else than face revolution. 
You know, there's an interesting scene that was in uh, this season, but uh, that time when Jesus comes down to the pool and the man lame is, is there, and Jesus says, do you want to be made well? And a lot of people kind of go, well, why did he ask that? Because the truth is, a lot of times, we don't want to be made well. We're perfectly comfortable with our dysfunction and our brokenness. We just want it to feel better. And that's revolt. That's the way of the world. Don't change me. Just make me feel okay with the way I am. But Jesus comes to bring revolution. I mean, he just puts that question right in front of us, right? Are we, are we seeking pain relief or do we want to be made well? And a lot of times we just want pain relief. We're not willing to allow God to do with us as God desires to do that revolutionary work of turning us into one of the people of God. This week as I was uh, doing some of my devotions and studies, I ran across this quote from Richard John Newhouse, a theologian. He says, It is our determination to be independent by being in control that makes us unavailable to God. I thought, how true that is. When we decide it has to be our way, we have to understand it, we have to shape it, we have to be in control of it, we have just shut the door on allowing God to have his way with us. And there we are in revolt instead of in revolution. Sometimes when we hear those, those hard sayings, it's really easy to think about who they apply to elsewhere, not so easy to think about how they might apply to us. And Jesus knew that people would be resistant to what he had to say. In fact, in this conversation he has with Matthew, there's a place where he, he just says, you know, Matthew, people are going to hear or, or they're not going to hear. In the scriptures, the, the disciples come to Jesus at a certain point, and they've been asking him about, you know, why, are you, why do you always teach with these parables and things? And he says to them, that's why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. He had to find a way to get through that desire to be independent by being in control. He had to find a way to get through our resistance, to get through our defenses. And so he taught in parables. Or he used this kind of rabbinic hyperbole. The thing about gouging out your eye, for example. He uses this kind of rabbinic hyperbole to get around our defenses and to get past our resistance. Uh, John Wimber, who is the, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, said this, God will offend the mind to reach the heart. He had to find a way to get through our resistance to reach our hearts. So he's crafting this together. And although uh, we know that first little part of the, uh, of the beatitude, let me, let me read you the rest of what he says after that blessed are those. He then says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I don't know about you, but when people insult me and come after me and falsely say all kinds of evil things against me because of my faith, you know, really, I don't feel much like rejoicing. 
I don't know about y'all, maybe y'all do, but you know, that's, my, my inclination is more like, let's get a baseball bat and go talk about it. You know, I mean, and, and, yet, and yet here's the thing, rejoice. And why would you rejoice until you start thinking about the fact that, that when that happens, you can rejoice and be glad because it means it's beginning to take in you. The revolution's beginning to happen in you. The transformation's beginning to happen in you. The kingdom of God is beginning to be seen in you. And the world is resisting that. The world is resisting. So that's why you rejoice. So after he's been wrestling with all of this on this Sermon on the Mount, he finally comes and wakes Matthew up in the evening that evening. And he says, I know how to start this now. I've figured it out. He said, I'm going to begin this with a map. A map. And here's the conversation that flows from that. Ready? Have I? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Yes. But how is it the map? If someone wants to find me, those are the groups they should look for. So as he moves through those Beatitudes and we see those scenes from all through the season, he finally comes to that end and he turns and he looks at Matthew. Blessed are you and People persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you on my account. Remember Matthew, <laughs> Matthew the tax collector, who, who 
at the beginning is, is treated by the Romans as, as a dog, if you will, and, and, but, but rejected by the Jews for being a tax collector. And in the first season, you may or may not remember, it, there's a, a, a show about the, the Sabbath meal, and, and he goes to share Shabbat with his family and is not allowed in and ends up sharing his meal with a dog. He knows what it is to be spoken evil of. And then when he chooses to leave and, and to follow Jesus, the Romans are mad at him. His family still won't have anything to do with him. And even the disciples aren't really sure what to do with him. So if anyone knows what it means to be spoken evil of, it, it's Matthew. And Jesus speaks directly to him. And what does Matthew say back? Yes. Yes. Because it means that he has opened his heart to begin that revolutionary process of transformation. And then he says, but how's that a map? And Jesus says, because if people want to find me, they need to look for people like this, these groups of people. And are we those groups of people? So let me ask you a couple of questions. What and who are competing with your sincere desire to belong to God? Where is the resistance in you? And this is one that comes out of the study guide that uh, we, we looked at Tuesday night. But read Galatians 5, to 23, which is Paul listing the fruit of the Spirit uh, that come from the indwelling of the Spirit. And, and the question is, how do you think the fruits of the Spirit correspond to the blessings of the Beatitudes. And I never had thought of that. If you've not done that, let me just really encourage you to do that. Um, you're you're going to find some very surprising connections there. How has God been a, a, a refuge for you in times of trouble? And what are some specific reasons you have to rejoice in spite of any difficult circumstances you may be facing? And then here's the biggie. Are you on the map? Are you on the map? Can you say yes with Matthew? So I want you to do this right now. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to just hold your hands out. And as we think about being God's people who face resistance in the world and sometimes resistance from ourselves. Hear these words from our brother Paul and receive them. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And Almighty God, we give you thanks for the gift of the Holy Spirit and your love which gets poured into our hearts, that breaks through our hardness to your word, our resistance to your word, that begins the revolutionary transformation 
that you work within us. And we offer ourselves up to you and ask that you continue to do that work in us until we are on the map. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.